1: Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Richard Dean and myself have been up to on Tuesday, the 7th of March. That includes going through the Majid for tame earnings, having a look at rising interest rates in Australia and Dubai property numbers as well. Digging into reports that Saudi Arabia could be looking to cut corporate tax rates for companies that move their regional HQ over this year. We've been speaking to the tax expert Shiv Malingam, who is at the Craigus Group. And uh, Rich has been looking at the price of going to a good old concert. James Craven is the president for the Middle East at Live Nation. We've also been speaking to the CEO of the latest IPO in town. Well, not our town, Upper Dubby Town, but close enough. Thomas Predmoton is the CEO of Presite AI, that's the G42 company, that's going to be offering a 32% stake, looking to raise just under half a billion dollars.
2: Majid al Tame, one of the biggest in Dubai, and they have seen an increase in revenue but a drop in profits. What do you make of these numbers?
1: Right, so we've got a 12% increase in revenue. We've got a 2% drop in profits. We've got comments about uh, the reason for that uh, profit drop, uh, looking at exchange rates across the different countries that Major Alpha Tame uh, operates and also um, having a look at the impact of inflation, if you like, on operating costs. What's particularly interesting is what's happening with their residential property uh, sector. Talalagaf is probably the residential development that's got the most... Attention, Magic Alpha Tame's flagship uh, property development. Uh, the new CEO said to Bloomberg Tally that the residential sector was now making up 30% um, of its property revenues, which is unheard of for the company. and He reckons that could go to as much as 50%. Normally, of course, it's the malls um, sector that is, I presume, the big uh, earner for, for Magic Alpha Tame in terms of rents. They've got hotels and cinemas as well.
2: That is Majid Alpha fatayn Other stories we're looking at this morning, breaking news out of Australia within the past half an hour. As widely expected, Australia, the latest central bank, to raise interest rates, a 25 basis point hike, not massive, from the Reserve Bank of Australia. The governor saying, no surprises, global inflation is very, very high. Therefore hiking rates. Daniel Richards is senior economist at Emirates MBD. He's been following this one closely over the past half an hour or so and this is what he told us.
3: The hike was pretty well expected given Australia's CPI inflation rate remains pretty elevated. While it did slow to 7.4% year on year in January from 8.4% in December, that is still well above the bank's target level. And the fact that inflation is increasingly driven by stickier service elements of a basket rather than the food and energy story of last year, this means that the central bank is more likely to look to dampen demand through these higher rates. And indeed, the hiking is not over yet either, with Governor Philip Lowe stressing that the bank will do whatever is necessary in order to bring price growth back down to more normal levels and cautioning that there are more rate hikes to come.
2: So that's the Reserve Bank of Australia, which announced their decision about 30, not about 37 minutes ago, precisely 37 minutes ago. It came out exactly at 7.30 a.m. our time. Looking forward to tomorrow, one of the big stories that will be moving global markets is Jerome Powell, Jay Powell of the Fed. Steady Feddy. Steady Feddy is taking Speaking to the Honest Congress.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things. Um, one of the, the CNN blogs that I follow this morning has referred to him as J-Money, um, <laughs> which made me snigger. Um, it's The testimony is an interesting one, isn't it? Because you get a lot of congressmen who do a lot of grandstanding. It's their moment in front of the television cameras to ask a big, long, complicated question. And we see this whenever we see uh, one of the tech guys sit up in front of Congress as well. But what people are going to be listening for is any kind of indication on what's going to happen with interest rate rises. Are we going to go back up to 50 basis points? It already feels like we're going to see a bit more for a bit longer. We've got quite a lot of different types of employment data, job openings, job cuts, uh, the Beige Book, and wages coming out this week. As Daniel was was talking about, this quite a lot to to digest there. But the thing that just gets me is the sentiment about whether or not we're done with interest rate rises just seems to be changing at the moment month on month.
2: Yeah, the wind is blowing in different directions, which is why the economics team at Emirates MBD are busy. Dan's been crunching the numbers in Australia. His colleague, Jean Walters, an economist at Emirates MBD, has been looking forward to what we might expect from Jerome Powell when he speaks to Congress, not tonight, but tomorrow night. This is what Jean told us.
3: Markets will be watching for any clues as to how the Fed may behave at its next scheduled meeting. In recent weeks, Fed officials have been underscoring the need for interest rates to rise further and stay there for longer several officials have also called for a return to 50 basis point hikes after the fed hiked by a smaller 25 basis points at their last meeting in early feb these calls for larger rate hikes have come on the back of stickier than expected inflation and evidence of a still strong labor market the fed committee is due to meet again on the 21st and 22nd of march with most commentators currently still expecting rates to rise by a further 25 basis points
2: and you can be sure that the UAE Central Bank will immediately follow suit. It's the Business Breakfast on Dubai I 103.8 FM. Coming up in about 10 minutes time, looking forward to this interview, going to be talking about the economics of music concerts. Brandy Scott in the green room is James Craven, who heads up Live Nation in this region, Live Nation Middle East. They've got a bunch of concerts coming up. We'll give you the details shortly. But it's big business. I know Live Nation. I knew Live Nation was a big organization. Have a guess because I did my homework how many events they put on a year oh, globally around the world globally
1: it's thousands isn't it's it?
2: 40,000 <laughs> it's a huge operation huge organization do and you
1: realize also that it ties into our fed story because sitting in front of congress telling lawmakers what happened with taylor swift
2: and the tickets the fact that it was tricky to buy Tickets for Taylor Swift. That was a technological. Well, the issue. Senate, technically. Yeah. Um, but yes. And look, I mean, there are issues and there are safety issues with the with the concert industry as well. So we're going to be talking about those. But looking forward to that conversation very much uh, with James Craven coming up in about 10 minutes' time. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast
0: exclusively on Dubaii1038.com.
1: Oh, we are looking at one of our top stories this morning. Reports in local and international newspapers that Saudi Arabia could exempt multinationals from taxes if they relocate their regional HQs to the kingdom. Very pleased to have a tax expert in the studio. Shiv Mahalingam is International Tax and Global Transfer Pricing Head at the Craigus Group. Shiv, good morning. It's lovely to see you.
3: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here as always.
1: So the FT and the Saudi Gazette quoting the kingdom's Minister of Investment saying that if HQs move this year, they're likely to get a tax exemption. What kind of tax would they be exempt from?
3: Uh, This is looking at uh, any corporation tax applicable to the businesses themselves. Um, We call this tax competition. Um, In history, you see a lot of jurisdictions that have attracted business, foreign direct investment, using tax incentives, such as reducing corporation tax or offering incentives if companies demonstrate a certain level of substance in that location. A good example is Singapore if you have, I think it's a 15% corporation tax rate, but you can get that down to 5% if you commit to having a certain amount of boots on the ground in the location.
1: What's corporate tax running at Saudi at the moment?
3: It's 20%. Uh, There's obviously a minimum corporation tax we've spoken about before that's been uh, uh, kind of recommended by the OECD of around 15%. So to get tax below that is going to be difficult, but some incentives may be uh, available. For example, the intellectual property regimes in the US and the UK, they exempt taxes below that for certain types of income and business.
1: And as you say, tax breaks to get companies to move into your country are nothing new. This is still a maybe could story, waiting for more information. What questions do you have about how these tax breaks would work?
3: I think the, the key thing to think about is if you're already operating in KSA. Um, You're there for a number of different reasons such as access to a large consumer base, you know, the economy itself. So if companies are already operating in KSA, it's very exciting, I think, to look at if they can increase substance and get those incentives, then I think that will be something important to look at. However, uh, is it going to attract businesses that have no existing operation and footprint in KSA? That might be uh, a stretch. But it's really something that existing businesses who are already operating there may want to look out by having a regional hub in KSA.
1: And it's not the first carrot we've seen dangled by the Saudi authorities when it comes to moving a regional headquarters into the kingdom, is it? We've we've had talk of needing to have a regional HQ there in order um, to bid for certain contracts, etc. What are you seeing amongst your clients? What can we kind of gauge about how well that shift is is going, whether it's working?
3: Yeah, Whenever you have uh, tax incentives that are part of a package of other business measures, it can be quite attractive for businesses to, to establish more operations, increase their operations there. However, the approach of the tax authorities is also critical. You know, companies value certainty above all else in tax is something we've seen over the past few years. So the rate itself and the amount of tax paid is one element, but also if they're going to have tax audits that are quite aggressive far-reaching, um, then that is not something that's going to encourage businesses to, to invest in that jurisdiction. So the approach and how it's policed going forward is also very important.
1: And of course we've got corporate tax coming into the UAE midway do, yes. through this year. Do you expect to see more tax competition in the Gulf as a whole?
3: Yes, absolutely. The The Middle East obviously is a great footprint for investment into Africa and other jurisdictions, so a lot of groups have regional hubs here already um, for that particular region. So it's likely that the GCC territories will follow each other quite closely in terms of attracting business and investment and regional hubs uh, in this location. But given
1: the amount of free zones that we do have here, how attractive are those tax levers really?
3: They're extremely attractive for business. However, I would caveat it by saying that the international pressure to have a minimum rate of corporation tax would mean that businesses that are above a certain threshold, $850 million uh, of global turnover, it's very difficult for those businesses to enjoy um, corporation tax breaks below 15% going forward. But businesses below that, I think it could be quite interesting to, to assess.
1: And amongst your clients, how are companies doing in terms of getting ready for that UAE corporate tax? Is everyone getting their financial ducks in a row?
3: They are. There's been, uh, I guess, some practice runs with VAT and IFRS and businesses have uh, really upskilled on corporation tax and, and tax in general. So a lot of them are going through the requirements this year. Uh, and, you know, and ensuring that everything's in place uh, so that when corporation tax is here, they can hit, hit the ground running with, as opposed to hitting the ground with a splat, if that makes sense.
1: What does getting ready actually look like? What does it involve?
3: So part of it is registering um, with the ministry uh, and making sure that you're on their books. Even if you're exempt uh, under the free zones, it's important to at least register and, and make sure you can avail yourself of those exemptions. So really the the regulations are around compliance, making sure you're registering, filing returns if you need to, uh, and then paying tax if that is something that needs to be done also.
1: Are you seeing more professionals in your business move into this region, more auditors, more forensic accountants, chartered accountants, to deal with the, the coming tax
3: burden? Yes, absolutely. There's been a huge um, influx of accounting and tax qualified professionals, advisors, but also within businesses themselves. They're, they're hiring a lot more people in-house to help them deal with these issues, Brandy. Yeah.
1: At what stage does someone need to bring someone in-house as opposed to just using an accountancy firm?
3: Quite a simple, um, I guess, calculation. How much are you spending on advisors' fees and how much would you spend hiring somebody in-houses? You know, I've worked in-houses ahead of tax myself, and I think having somebody on the ground within the business is extremely valuable often.
1: Well, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Shiv Mahalingam is international tax and global transfer pricing expert from the Craigers Group, speaking to us this morning about that report from the FT and the Saudi Gazette, suggesting that multinationals that move regional HQ to the kingdom uh, could benefit from some tax incentives if they do so this year
0: catch up on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast
2: right then let's talk about the economics of music now live nation by most measures the largest organizer of concerts and music events anywhere in the world we've got the regional boss with us in the studio james craven is the president for the middle east at live nation good morning james good to have you with us Good morning, Richard, and thank you for having me in the studio. Big weekend for you, because one of the world's biggest music stars is coming to Abu Dhabi. I get yes, those we've got Travis
3: Scott.
2: That is Travis Scott with Bruce Goosebumps, and he's appearing at a festival in Abu Dhabi this weekend. Tell us more about that, James.
0: Yes, Travis is um, coming into the UAE this weekend for Wireless Festival. Wireless is actually a festival that's been running in the UK since like 2006. And in fact, my first festival I worked on with Live Nation back in the day. So this is the first time we brought it to the UAE. It's Yaz Island and Abu Dhabi. We, the headline act is Travis Scott, but we've got a huge line of a vaccine called Uzi Vert, Ali Aligati, MIA. So it's a,
2: it's a big, big lineup. It's the first big festival of its kind in the region. Okay, we're the business breakfast, so we want to know how the economics of these things work. Clearly, that's going to be an expensive event to put on. You've got the operations, the logistics, you've got to pay the artist, Travis Scott, one of the biggest names in the world at the moment, he's not going to come cheap. Um, you don't have to give us the, 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 the full breakdown of the account, but how do the economics stack up? How many tickets do you have to sell? How many sponsorships do you have to sign to, to, to make that profitable?
0: Yeah, that's a a very good question. I mean, tickets are just part of the equation. Um, The artist fees are particularly high, especially when they're outside the big touring regions of North America and Europe. So the revenue streams, ticketing is just one piece of it. Sponsorship is absolutely vital in this region. Without sponsorship, we wouldn't be able to produce the scale of shows that we do. Outside of that, we have ticketing, merchandise, F&B. So all of those, those revenue streams are key to making the venue a success. But actually promoting is a very low margin business.
2: So you've, you've got this event happening at the moment. You know, we, we are a, the Arabian Radio Network. I mean, you, you know us well. Very well. We're in the, we may be the, 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 the news talk business radio station, but the eight sister radio stations, we have a music stations. Red Fest is one of our big music events that our colleagues at Virgin Radio run. How, how do you make these events profitable in the Middle East when, as you say, we're not on the, on the circuit really yet? Well, now that's changed a lot. And, and I used to
0: work closely with the team at Virgin on Red Fest. It's a fabulous festival. And, and, and indeed, the, you know, that, the, the, the economics of those festivals are very challenging. I mean, one of the things that we've had to do um, since COVID is in the old days, artists used to fly in for one show and go. It was a one-play market. Now, since COVID, you've seen normalization of relations between the UAE and Israel and other states. You've seen a growth in content demand out of Saudi Arabia that's very, very new. You've seen growth in the industry in Africa. So now from it being a one play market, actually when you look at the broader region, Live Nation's now looking to put acts in over ten markets. That allows the economics to be much more sensible and much more viable. That's the future of touring, to bring more artists
2: for less money and make it more options for for, for the fans. Well, that's interesting. And you mentioned Saudi Arabia. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile this morning. It's something we do. We're stalkers. Mm -hmm. And you worked in Saudi Arabia for quite a while, didn't you? About 10 or 12 years ago, before this massive opening up of Saudi Arabia, working on cultural events. What do you make of what's happening in Saudi Arabia now?
0: Yeah, I spent three years working for Aramco at their cultural program, Ithra. And, you know, back then it was uh, very different to what it is today. And, and seeing the change is phenomenal. We're seeing more and more acts and artists and shows going through Saudi Arabia. It's only good for the region. Actually, more shows in Saudi, more demand in Saudi will create more shows into this region and beyond. So, so that growth, that opening up of the market is really good news for the
2: broader entertainment region. A couple of tough questions that we've got to address. First of all, Travis Scott's coming here, which is brilliant. But uh, we know that there was a concert that Travis Scott had just over a year ago, uh, which uh, 10 people died. I'm not going to ask you too many tough questions about that. You weren't involved in that. You work in the Middle East. But what can you say to a Business Breakfast audience, which is probably parents of kids who are going to go and watch him this weekend in terms of, of safety and what you as Live Nation are doing? Absolutely. Look, I think for any parent, uh, the safety of their
0: child is the first and most important thing. And whatever we do in our business, the thing that matters most to us is safety. That has to come at the top of everything. So in terms of all our events, we have very, very strict safety protocols, and exactly that will apply at Wireless this weekend. So, you know, incidents happen from time to time around the world. They're tragic. But I know that the team that we have all around the world that work in health and safety of events put the fan safety number one so as a parent of course he will be concerned but uh, we will always work our hardest and safest to protect the fans
1: the other reasons that concerts have been making headlines in the last couple of months has to do with competition ticket prices ticket availability and taylor swift what are we seeing happen to ticket prices with inflation
0: Ticket prices, well, in this region, we haven't seen a significant increase in ticket prices. In fact, I would say we particularly look to try to drive down ticket prices. In the days when it was a one-play market... People had, artists, promoters had higher prices. So what we'd like to see is actually a downturn in pricing to drive more demand for ticket goers. The old days, we used to see tickets usually starting around 395 dirhams for general entry. At the moment, we're seeing that down to 295. So actually, I'm seeing a downward pressure on ticket pricing due to the increase in
2: uh, shows going through the region. In terms of, of how you pick artists to come here, Travis Scott, I mean... I, I'm old. We're all old, but I'd say he's a he's a relatively young artist. Was it for 2015, 16 with Travis Scott's breakthrough? My my kids watch him on Fortnite. Let's say he's a he's a relatively new artist. Fine, um, but you've also got, for example, Guns N' Roses coming to the UAE. I mean, yeah, they've been around since since we were teenagers. How do the economics of getting you know old timers like Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi or whoever it may be Mm -hmm. coming to town how does that work
0: yeah it's interesting so when you look at the number of shows we do there's almost a 50 50 split between the contemporary acts and what you call the old school acts uh, the likes of the Guns and Roses Um, Backstreet Boys went on sale what a week ago that sold out in four hours (laughs) that was one of the fastest selling shows I've ever seen so there is a huge demand for both current and 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 sort of the historic uh, heritage acts as well so huge growth
2: in both sectors and where were you putting these events on? We've got quite a few venues now. Again, you know, back in the day, there wasn't much. I, I love the Media City Amphitheatre here. as an outdoor venue. It's great. We've got the Coca-Cola Arena in Dubai. You've got the, the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi as well, which are quite big concert venues. How, how do you weigh up... The, the good venues. And we've only got about 30 seconds left with you, sadly.
0: Well, actually, the, the the growth of purpose-built venues has also helped us lower costs of shows. So we put them in, in the Etihad Arena. We work with the Coca-Cola Arena. Uh, we also work Dubai Opera. And now we did Blah Blah the weekend with the 80s Rewind Festival. So we use a large number of venues throughout the region and throughout the UAE. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thanks
2: very much indeed. Best of luck with wireless this weekend. Thank I know you your margins are great, but hopefully your margins will be there. <laughs> We're talking about the economics of concerts with the boss of the world's biggest event promoter, or concert event promoter, James Craven, President for the Middle East of Live Nation. Thanks for much indeed, James. Just the highlights. This is the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
1: We are looking at one of the big stories of this week. Precite AI, a subsidiary of G42, looking to raise nearly half a billion dollars in an IPO. Very pleased to be joined on the line now by the Presite CEO Thomas Promotum, thank you very much for speaking to us, Thomas.
4: Hi, good morning, Brandy. It's wonderful to be here in the morning with you.
1: And you're looking to sell close to 1.4 billion shares. It's going to value the company at more than two billion dollars, which is a lot for an entity that a lot of our listeners will never have heard of. You're a data analytics company. Who are you analysing data for?
4: Oh, well, may, may, maybe I will take a step back. You know, yesterday when I was tuning into the show, um, Richard and uh, Muhammad uh, Ali was just having this conversation about who is PreSight, you know, and and of course, um, it is not the household name that you, you spoke of as you compared to Act Not Guess, but there's so much similarity between Act Not Guess and PreSight that uh, I really want to unpack for you. PreSight is a data analytics company powered by AI. Data analytics and AI is touching every part of our daily lives. From the time you wake up, the decisions you make on the road for using your Google Maps, the songs you pick on Spotify, data analytics and AI is in every part of your life, you know, even though the name PreSight may be new, but the work that we do has been embedded in our lives all the time that we have existed. PreSight is three years old, founded in Abu Dhabi. For the very first year, we were using data analytics and AI to support pandemic management in the years of the COVID. We used data analytics and AI to ensure that the expo that ran, the, work expo, the wonderful and successful works that ran in Dubai, saw 24 million visitors and were able to use data analytics and AI to support public safety work, people management work in the six months that it operated. And if you look at it, if you extend it out to where it is today, even sports is a big use of data analytics and AI. And you have seen our recent partnership with the Mercedes F1. The group, the G42 as a group is the AI ecosystem partner, but PreSight AI is the data analytics platform to be supporting uh, the Mercedes F1 try for the championship. On your call yesterday, you were talking to Radisson, and we we're talking about how climate calculators for for environment impact is in is put in place. Climate is another area where you will see data analytics and AI being deployed and the work that PreSide is doing to create a platform to allow such questions, daily questions that tax organisations to be answered is really at the heart of what we do.
1: So where is the growth going to come from in the company? As you say there, you're working across a number of sectors, government, um, sports, uh, fintech. Where are you looking to go sector-wise and geographically?
4: So geographically, we have done really well in the UAE in the first 18 months of our of our young young career. Uh, we've supported public services. We've supported finances financial services such as the work we do with adaa to really disrupt and improve financial analytics and financial audit with data analytics have you seen in the last 18 months pre has taken a step forward the digital transformation journeys of several countries around the region such as the angola digital transformation work that we've done works that were done in central asia in consolidating and bringing digital transformation solutions as well as the experience that we have we have so garnered in the UAE into these countries so where is the growth coming from? I would say the UAE continues to be a strong uptake of data analytics and AI. You will see the work that the federal government has done and a very strong vision from the leadership. Second, you will see us in more countries right now, We are already in 14 different countries over three continents. We see the the drive of digital transformation across emerging markets. And that is where you'll see the fuel of the growth over the next three to five years.
1: And what kind of financial shape is PreSight in? What balance sheet-wise did your 2022 look like? And what are you uh, forecasting to achieve in 2023?
4: Well, I would say uh, we're very healthy. We've been very blessed with strong growth over the past three years. Um, 2022 finished very strongly at $423 You would see that from the prospectus. We expect this pattern of growth to continue, um, largely driven because when we focus in the markets, digital transformation has been key, right? And the strength of being a UAE company and a UAE brand really takes us forward to capture these opportunities. Our agreements with the international markets, international clients are often a long-term agreement, so a three-year programmatic approach towards bringing digital transformation, data analytics, and AI into the days of improving um, the communities that they serve and improving citizen lives in general.
1: Is the data analytics that you're doing in the region multilingual? I'm wondering if that's a larger source of of market size capture.
4: Ah, That's a great question. I think one of the things you can think of is one, UAE being itself such an international environment, we've developed our our AI algorithms. There are about 100 AI algorithms and models now that sits on our technology platform we call the transformative analytics quotient. What does that mean? Because UAE has been such a unique international um, environment that we work in, we were able to develop a larger library of AI algorithms that serve a wider community. So in fact, you can think about us as training in the UAE. But when we go into a country, we eat language, it's um, societal algorithms. We're going local, but we're a global company.
1: So let's talk about the IPO itself. You've got a set price rather than a book-building process, as with the Bayonet IPO. Why have you chosen to do that?
4: Well, if, you, if I looked at yesterday's conversation with... Uh Mr. Muhammad Ali Youssef he said one of the things that the UAE environment and, and the region continue is positive, the macroeconomics is strong. Uh, he did say, he did mention that, you know, there are several companies that have full potential that is still underpriced. I think with all the macro environment that we're looking in, how we have priced pre-site for this IPO is unique to the potential growth that we see pre-site is likely to have or is most likely to deliver. And it's also because of the, the forward momentum that the markets as well as pre has in the region. And this region to us is really a strong growth region. Um, and this is, I think, where the action is gonna be.
1: Well, Richard and I have already had an argument this morning over how important dividends are to tech stocks. What are you committing to in terms of dividend distribution once you're listed?
4: And you know, we've taken the, the capital appreciation approach, you know, dividends I'm sure will come but right now, the focus is really to deliver shareholders' value. And to do that is really by achieving the value-added outcomes and the societal outcomes that we can deliver to our clients through technology. And I think at the right time, uh, my board, myself, and the management will really look at how do we share the dividend. But right now, the focus is making sure a successful IPO is run and delivering the value-added um, Outcomes to our organize to the organizations that we serve. This this is just the beginning. So I'll be happy to visit that again and the next time we speak.
1: Can we expect you to release more shares if it is as expected oversubscribed? Well,
4: the interest in um, both corporate investors and retail has been very strong. Um, I cannot rule out any kind of a uh, strategy that will be taken moving forward. We're just excited that we're here right now in this very moment to be able to extend this opportunity to corporate, institutional and retail investors and to be able to share the journey of pre-site um, as much as we can.
1: We've got about 30 seconds left with you. We do have, speaking of those big investors, IHC as a cornerstone investor. What can you tell me about the kind of stake that they're taking?
4: Well, what I can tell you is, you know, being a homegrown Abu Dhabi company, uh, we're three years old, 100% homegrown, developing out of the technology that we we, we develop out of UAE to be picked and to be Accepted into IHC's investment portfolio is the, attest- the biggest attestation to the confidence that they have in us and they have in the region. You have to stay tuned for, for, for the specific details, but we're just so privileged to have them as a cornerstone investor.
1: Thomas Promotum is the CEO of Presite, the AI data analytics company, uh, that is the latest Abu Dhabi cab off the rank when it comes to IPOs, looking to raise around half a billion dollars by offering 1.4 billion shares in an IPO that was announced yesterday morning while we were in the capital.